Can you guys hear me? Okay. So for those of you who don't know me, I don't know if everybody knows who I am. So just before I start, my name is Irini Koryakos. If I haven't met you before, nice to meet you. Please come say hi at some point. I'm, I um, help run the Connections team. Um, and I would love to meet you if I haven't met you. But for those that do know me, they're gonna, so we're talking about a couple of things. Sorry, we are having a bit of a technical difficulty. I was going to do a Mentimeter today. We'll do it next week. I'm giving them a talk for the next two weeks. Um, but we're going to talk today about making better decisions. I think Abuna has put that out on the email. Um, but for those of you guys that don't know me, or for those that do know me, there are two things that I'm pretty passionate in my life. Let's get that. My career, which actually fueled my second passion which in life, which is traveling. Now, I've made some pretty poor life choices in my heyday, most of them around my second passion of travel. I mean, who goes to another country like India without bringing cash with them and not really having a plan for how do you plan on getting to your hotel from the airport? I mean, have you ever ridden in a tuk-tuk from the airport the first time you've landed in a foreign country with a complete stranger promising them cash when you get to your hotel? or even tried to go to the Taj Mahal on your own via an unknown route as a woman because it would be two hours shorter, leading to unchartered waters in some very feisty, non-English, Indian-speaking village. I mean, poor life choices, right? How many people do that? I sadly have. Um, making decisions is an important life skill, especially for me at work. Not that I'm sure work would trust me, given what I've just described, but... In the type of work I do, I am a consultant, and I am tasked with helping our clients in making decisions that can impact the futures of the people they have in their organizations. I'm going to put this down. Sorry, guys. Can you guys still hear me? Okay. I'm tasked with doing this every single day at work. And lots of times, this requires that I have to make quick decisions. No time for stewing over the options, and with this responsibility comes a lot of pressure. We have a motto at work that if you look up for our organization, you will see in all of our advertising. And this is not an advertisement in any way, shape, or form. I'm just calling that out. The better the question, the better the answer, and the better the world works. So when Father Nate asked me to give the talk, the next two talks after Easter at the 8, Another poor life choice, by the way, as I did not, I do not like public speaking. And let me tell you, I did try to get out of this big time, but couldn't. With that being said, forgive me if I choke up here or there, as this is just not my forte. Um, anyways, I was trying to figure out what I would speak about. And I was thinking about what I could relate to and what would be beneficial for all of us. So one day as I sat prepping a PowerPoint for work with the first slide calling out our EY tagline, the better the question, the better the answer, the better the world works, we were always told to ask the better the question at work with our clients to help them to get to the better decision. I thought, don't we need to do the same in our own lives when we are making key life choices? So here we are talking about making better decisions. And who doesn't want to make better decisions? The key to making better decisions is actually, I've learned, asking the better questions. Think of a time you made a decision that you regret. Maybe it was buying something that you couldn't afford, or maybe it was sticking it out in a relationship too long. 
Think of any time that you go back and say, I wish I hadn't done that. I regret that decision. You get to the point where you find yourself saying, I wish I had asked more questions. When you took the job that you shouldn't have taken, I wish I had asked those questions. Or gone into far into a relationship, I had wished I had asked these questions earlier on. Asking the better questions leads to the better answers, and information and more information that we have, the better the decisions we make and the fewer regrets we will have. Subconsciously, we already have a framework of questions that we ask ourselves before we make a decision. The question is, are you asking yourselves the right questions? We usually tend to ask, will this make me happy? Will this make me rich? Will this be good for me? The goal is to ask ourselves the right questions. In asking Father Nate on some recommendations for books, he recommended a book called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets by Andy Stanley, in case you want to purchase and read up on this after. The basis of this book tells us that there are five questions that with any life decisions we make, we should ask ourselves. We're going to focus only on the first four for the next two talks, just because we don't have enough time to go through all of them, as they are the most important, um, but feel free to check out the fifth question in the book. We should, ask our, we should be asking ourselves these four questions to aid us in our decision-making before we make any decision. The integrity question, the legacy question, the conscience question, and the maturity question. Good questions lead to better decisions, and better decisions lead to fewer regrets. Decisions are the joystick of life. They are your steering wheel. Every day of your life, you are writing your story. You are writing your story with every decision that you make. For example, your health. The decisions you make on the foods you eat or don't eat impact your health. Do you exercise? Do you not exercise? This impacts your health. When you're at work, you write a story of your career with how you choose to work hard or slack off, push yourself or cut corners. You write the story of your marriage and investing in each other versus not, investing in your children or not. These are all decisions that we make. The decisions that we make today shape our future tomorrow. The impact of our decisions goes beyond our own future. It will impact our children, our partners, our friends, our parents. Our lives today are influenced by the decisions that were made way before we were born. For many of us, our parents made the decision to move to America from Egypt to give their children a better life. What would your life be like if they had remained in Egypt? What about other decisions? For example, I often think about the decision to move to Atlanta for work. If I hadn't made that decision, where would I be today? Would my life look different? The decisions we make today shape our future tomorrow. Also, there really isn't such thing as a private decision. Private decisions have public implications. The scary thing is that you have no idea what or who hangs in the balance of the decisions that you make today. I know that sounds scary and it feels like we're doomed, but the goal is the exact opposite of that. It is to make you feel that you are in control and that you can take the steering wheel by your decisions. 
the way we take control of our lives is by taking control of our decisions and making them proactively and intentionally. We have the power to write our stories that we can tell our children and our grandchildren. What legacy do you want to leave for your children? What are the people going to write about you when you leave this earth? You owe it to yourself and the people around you to pause and make better decisions leading to fewer regrets. In Proverbs 22.3, King Solomon tells us, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And are punished. Or in the New International Version, because I'm using the NKJV, you see pay the penalty. What does this mean? It means regrets. If only I could go back and unmake a decision I made. The way to get there is to ask the right questions. The better the questions. So this week, I'm going to talk about the first two questions, the integrity question and the legacy question, and then next week we'll focus on the last two. So what is the integrity question? The integrity, the integrity question is, am I being honest with myself? But it's important that we say this twice. Am I being honest with myself, really? When it comes to selling ourselves on bad ideas, we are all expert salesmen. Think back to any decision that you regret, and if you think back, you will see that you are your own worst enemy. Let's go back to the health example. Think back to something that you ate that you shouldn't have eaten. I'm going to use dessert, right? I love dessert. So how many times have we told ourselves in the past, I didn't eat dessert all day, therefore a little bit right now isn't really going to hurt me. Is that really true? Really? Does this make sense? Is eating dessert now or in the morning going to make a difference? Probably not. Or, I've had a long day, I deserve some ice cream. Ice cream will make you more tired. So really, is it going to make a difference? Are we, are we, are we, you know, are we, um, the ice cream will make you more tired, or even better, it's okay if I eat dessert because I'm going to exercise later. Really? How do you usually feel after that ice cream or chocolate cake? Likely the thought of, I shouldn't have eaten that, will come into mind. Regret. Anytime you look back on a decision, you regret the only person you have to blame is yourself. You are your own worst enemy. In Proverbs 18:17, King Solomon tells us, he who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. We owe it to ourselves to pause and ask, am I being honest with myself, really? How many times are you late to a meeting or an event or an engagement and say that there was traffic and we blame it on the traffic? Is it really the traffic or did you leave late? We lie to ourselves all the time about why we're angry. Why are you angry, really? Why didn't you call your parents, really? Why aren't you talking to that friend, really? This question matters because you can't make the best decision for yourself until you're honest with yourself. You owe it to your friends and family that you get the best data to make the best decision. Ask the right questions. Am I being honest with myself, really? 
Prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17.9 states, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah doesn't say my heart or your heart, but the heart. All of humanity's heart is deceitful above all things. It's a condition of humanity. Jeremiah says deceitful and not dishonest. Danger lies in a deceitful agenda versus being dishonest, as there is always an agenda behind deceit. Dishonest is telling you lies, but to be deceitful is via a truth and then a lie. It makes you believe and not pay attention. How many times have you said to yourself, what was I thinking? Why did I do this or go there or stop that? Why do we do things that we tell others not to do when we know it's not good for us? We've all heard Father Nate talk about this in the past, confirmation bias. The, Orthodox, the Oxford Dictionary defines confirmation bias as the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. Again, the tendency to interpret new evidence as, one, as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. What does this mean? We make up our minds and then find evidence to support our position. We find opinions that match what we support. It says we don't care about being truthful, but that we just want to be right. Sir Francis Bacon, a 16th century English philosopher, stated, the human understanding when it has once adopted an opinion, draws all things else to support and agree with it. But if we have our eyes set on God and the one who knows all, then the decisions that we make and our hearts and desires will be in alignment with God versus ourselves and our opinions. So there's a fourth century philosopher and bishop named St. Augustine of Hippo who stated, he alone perceives what in our inward conscience each of us thinks and delights in. Delight is the end of care because our whole goal in life is to reach what we think and care about most and attain it. God who searches the heart therefore sees our cares. And when he finds that our cares incline neither to the lust of the flesh, nor to the lust of the eyes, nor to the pride of life, but to the joys of things eternal, which are spoiled by no change, he provides direction for the righteous. If our hearts are aligned with God, then our decisions will be aligned with God. You should never have to talk yourself into a good decision. If it's a good decision, you should not find yourself trying to sell yourself of that decision. Good ideas or decisions sell themselves. They don't require a lot of justifying of our decisions. When we are justifying, we are just lying to ourselves to convince ourselves what to do. We need to convince ourselves that we will never be blind or sold on something that is so wrong. How many times have you purchased something that you don't need? an Amazon purchase, maybe a house that put you in debt, a relationship decision, what was I thinking, 
we should never have to convince ourselves that the purchase of the house or even that relationship is the right thing for you. How about unexpected decisions? Decisions that we never saw coming. We need to pause before we make a mistake and really ask ourselves, am I being honest with myself, really? But there is hope. If we knew we had a permanent condition with our physical heart, let's just say in a regular heartbeat, we take constant, regular, consistent action to ensure care to addressing it every day with medication. The same should be true with our hearts in a spiritual sense. In Proverbs 4.23, King Solomon states, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The issues of life, what are they? They are the regrets, the consequences. This comes from the heart and the deceitful heart that sells us on bad decisions. Are we being honest with ourselves, really? You owe it to yourself to be honest. What is the real reason you don't call that family member? What is the real reason you walked away from that relationship or that friendship or that romantic relationship or that marriage? What is the real reason? What is the, are these questions making you so uncomfortable right now? What are you trying to turn your head away from? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay. The second question is the legacy question. What story do you want to tell? Ultimately, the decisions that we make today will be a story that we will tell down the road. Oh, I remember when we did this or when we didn't do that. What story do you want to tell about today down the road? Yesterday's decision really is today's decision. When you look back on your story, are there stories that you are proud of? What stories do you love to tell? Are there parts of the story that you wish you could erase when they come up in a conversation or maybe you want to avoid and change the subject on? Maybe part of your story is that you went out with a guy or a girl and didn't realize that they weren't the right person for you, but you didn't want to be the only guy or girl without a boyfriend or girlfriend. Are you still with this person today? Are you so far into it and now you need to make a decision on whether you keep going or cut it off? How about work? Are you cutting corners and bending the rules because it's just easier? What will that lead to? Do you want this to be a part of your story? If you are not happy with your story, well, good news. It's not too late. In Ecclesiastes 10.1, King Solomon states, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a lily folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. The little fly ruined a beautiful perfume. In the same way, a little bad decision can ruin a reputation of wisdom and honor. Every decision becomes a permanent part of your story. And that is why we need to pause and ask ourselves the right question. Your story didn't need to be how you wasted two years in a bad relationship, but how you sought guidance and listened to your parents, your family, your friends, your priest, and their advice and ended it before it went too far. 
It may have been painful at the time, but because of that, you are who you are today. That's take work. When your boss came to ask you, came to you asking you to cut that one corner and you said no and stood your ground. You may have gotten fired, but is it a story you can proudly tell versus having to leave your job because you were found out about cutting that one corner and had to leave with disgrace instead? The goal is to be able to write a story that you are proud to tell, at least one that you are not embarrassed to tell or one that doesn't make you cringe when it comes up. For those who are single, every decision you make today will be a story that you will have to tell to Mr. or Mrs. Wright. If you are in a position of leadership, you are looked up to for guidance. Be sure that your story is one that will model your leadership. A good example of someone who thought about the decisions that he made and what it meant to his story is Joseph. Joseph always looked toward the future, and it's clear that he was always thinking about what story did he want to tell, especially to God. As a reminder, Joseph was the 11th of 12 brothers and the second youngest, and God had given him the ability to foresee his future via his dreams. He was the favorite of his father, and his older brothers knew it and didn't like it, and were frankly very jealous of Joseph. Joseph's brothers made a decision that they would regret due to their jealousy of Joseph. They were so jealous of Joseph that they decided they would kill him. It was a decision led by hatred and jealousy. However, Joseph got lucky. His oldest brother, Reuben, had compassion on him and decided to speak up and came up with another idea that would save Joseph's life. So when Reuben basically says, let's not kill him, let's just throw him in a well, Reuben wanted to be able to go back and rescue his little brother as part of the plan. Remember that at any time a bad decision is made, there is always a Reuben in our life. God will always send a Reuben to us in some way, shape, and or form. It can sometimes be a text message, a phone call, a doorbell, a friend, something. There is always an out. But what happens after they throw Joseph into the pit? While Reuben steps away, the brothers see a caravan going to Egypt and make a deal to sell him as a slave. They came up with a lie to tell their father about how wild beasts ate him. This is confirmation bias. They were thinking this was a victory because they were able to get rid of the brother that they were so jealous of. But what they weren't thinking about was, is this really the story that we want to tell? Could, can you imagine what that story would have sounded like? You know, we had an annoying little brother, and we threw him in a well, sold him to slaves, lied to our parents. We spent the rest of our lives lying, and any time Joseph's name was mentioned, we were in fear that we would be found out. And what's even more cringeworthy? This is a story that would be written in the Bible that would be read by generations of people on this earth. Would they have done the same had they known this? Do you think they were thinking about their story? Would things be different if they paused and thought about the story that they wanted to tell? However, the story doesn't end here. Joseph ends up being purchased by a rich man in Egypt, Potiphar, the highest official to the pharaoh in Egypt. 
Potiphar took notice to the extent that Potiphar fully trusted him and left him to care for all that he was responsible for. Now we can see that Joseph has started writing his story. He was thrown into a well, he was kidnapped, he was sold as a slave, he was shipped off to Egypt, he was a victim but never acted as a victim. He worked hard and most important of all, he trusted God. Joseph did his part and trusted God to do his. God was in control. This is a story that any parent and Joseph would be proud to tell. Joseph was also known to be handsome and good-looking, which also proved, to add another twist to his story, you'd think that his being handsome and good-looking would work to his benefit, right? Not in this case. His master's wife began seducing Joseph. At this point in Joseph's life, he's probably only 19 or 20 years old. He's living in a foreign land with no hope that anything will change. And to top it off, now his master's wife is trying to seduce him and asks him to lie with her. And on top of it, he's a slave and technically cannot say no to his master's wife, as that would be a death sentence. But what does Joseph do? Remember, he's forsaken, he's abandoned by his brothers, and until now, even God hasn't really helped him. Joseph really has every excuse and reason to commit sin with her, but he doesn't. Joseph was thinking about his story. Either way, he could die at this very moment. He could tell the story of standing his ground and doing what was right and holding on to his morals and getting killed because he did so, or he could tell the story of which he was afraid, and because he was afraid, he betrayed his master and broke God's rules. He didn't want to be punished or be alone, and both of these stories would likely lead to death. Which story would you want to tell? I know I was speaking, you know I was speaking to a friend the other day and had mentioned that I was prepping for this talk. And he mentioned to me a piece of advice his mother had given him when making decisions, which I thought was great advice. And I want us to challenge ourselves in doing the same when we're about to make any decision. When you make a decision, do you stop to think about the three possible outcomes based on the decisions that you are looking to make? I'm sure Joseph, in his situation, assessed the impact of the decisions he could have made in this way. Do we sit down and assess the possible outcomes of our decisions before we make a decision that could lead us down a bad path? To continue, Joseph says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? His story will say, trust in God most high, stand for your morals, have self-control, and I will not add betrayal and adultery to my story. But did God stop the calamity on Joseph here? No. Potiphar's wife did not stop, but she continued to persist. Joseph continues to tell her no, and she gets angry as she's been embarrassed by the rejection. She ends up accusing Joseph of trying to rape her and tells Potiphar, who throws him into the dungeon, for the crime he committed. So here we go again. Now, for the second time, he's thrown into a dungeon, first a well by his brothers, and now a prison for having committed no crime to both. But the Lord continued to remain with Joseph. Hmm. If the Lord was with Joseph, would he really be in prison? If the Lord was with him, why didn't the Lord protect him? The answer, 
His story isn't over yet. Have you thought about this, about situations in your life? Well, maybe your story isn't over yet, too. Maybe that's why you think God hasn't shown you mercy. Maybe you are looking for a resolution in chapter 3 of a 10-chapter book. Yes, there will be justice and God will provide. The key between now and then is to write a good story by making good decisions, just like Joseph. So what happens next? He became a model prisoner. The warden trusted him with everything. This chapter of Joseph's life lasted eight long years. It wasn't one day or two days. It was eight long years. He didn't know if he was going to live to tell it, but even in prison, he anticipated his decisions. A couple of years later, Pharaoh ends up having a dream and calls Joseph to interpret the dream. The good news? For seven years, Egypt will have a boom in the economy, but after the seven years, there's going to be a famine in Egypt. But you know what, Pharaoh? It's okay, because we need to use the first seven years to save grain and prepare for the famine. Because of his interpretation, Pharaoh ends up promoting him as his second in command in all of Egypt. Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. How did he become the PM of the most powerful nation? Because of his story. His story spoke for himself. Every person who reads his story, Potiphar or the warden, only saw a man who was faithful and trustworthy. There was nothing that Joseph had to hide. We should all have a story that we are proud to tell. We don't want a story that shows shame or regret. We want to be heroes of our own stories. The hero in every action movie doesn't have anything to hide. If we compare Joseph to his brothers, we see that he has nothing to hide, fast forward, or be ashamed of in his story. The brothers spent the rest of their lives not living as heroes, but as liars because of the decisions that they made. How would a hero respond to their trial? How would a hero respond when a difficult situation comes? If you want to be a hero, then start making decisions like a hero. God wants our story to be shouted from the mountaintops. We need to do our part and ask the right questions and stop making excuses as to why we didn't. To close out the story of Joseph, 25 years later, during the famine, his brothers come to Joseph asking for grain. They are now in front of Joseph not knowing who he is. The roles have been reversed. Joseph is the powerful one and they are the weak ones. He's in a position of authority, and they are begging him to help save the lives of their family members. The tables have turned. What does Joseph do? Does Joseph get even with them? Does he get revenge? Mind you, at this point, he kind of had every right, didn't he? But if he did, we wouldn't be listening to this story. It would have been for him to do so with his power, but no he offers them forgiveness instead. He tells them not to be grieved. He unites them with his family. Now this is a story worth telling, and this is a story that Joseph was proud to tell, and one that we are proud to read. You know, during this Holy Week, we spoke a lot about Judas and the decision that he made to betray Jesus. Do you think that Judas knew what his decision to betray Jesus would result in? Do you think he expected that it would land Jesus in prison 
and then led to his trial and his execution? Judas's eyes were so fixed on his love of money that he likely thought that the punishment Jesus would receive would be that of a light punishment. But what happens? The most horrible situation occurred, and Judas's decision leads him to suicide once he's realized what he had done and also the death of his best friend and exclusion by his brothers. A simple decision chasing a dollar with, that should have been, with what should have been little consequences had major implications for our Lord. How about you? You are still in the middle of your story. What story do you want to tell? How do you want your story to play out over the next few chapters? Remember that the story you tell today will simply play out down the road. What do you want your story to say? Today's decision will soon become tomorrow's story. In Proverbs 13.22, King Solomon states, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. My challenge for you today is to think beyond the here and the now and think towards the story that we are going to tell one day. How do we get there? we need to pause and ask ourselves two things. Am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself really? And what story do I want to tell? Is the decision that I make today part of the story that I want to make tomorrow? Let's promise ourselves that we will do everything in our power to write a story that we want to tell. Let's stand up to pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for this message and the wake-up call that we need this weekend. Help us to come to the truth. Help us to be able to ask ourselves the tough questions and to be honest with our answers. Lord, we want to write stories that are worth telling and that we are proud of. And we know that there are parts in our past that we haven't been the best in. Help us to obtain the new mindset and outlook every day so that we can write stories that we are proud to tell and ones that we know we can shout from the mountaintops. We ask this in your name and through the intercessions of the saints. Hear us when we pray thankfully saying, Our Father who art in heaven. this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not temptation even one in Christ Jesus our